Welcome to Unsponsored Content. I'm your host, Jesse Resnick. Each episode we release will focus on a person or topic that is unique, innovative, or inspiring here at Xander and beyond. Hey, hey! Today's guest on Unsponsored Content is Paul Sundu, who is the creative director of Courageous Studios. Courageous Studios is one of Warner Media's branded content studios, focusing on their news networks like CNN, HLN, and Great Big Story. Don't look out the window because we are on the 51st floor. And if you weren't scared of heights, I bet you will be now. I thought you were going to say you were nervous talking with me because it's a very intimidating experience for many. (laughs) Well, with the title of creative director, I am more excited than nervous because I've always heard about this position. and I'm really interested to hear all of the cool things that you do. So to kick it off, I want to know where you're from, where you went to school, what's your family like, what's your deal? Uh, We're the branded content agency for the news divisions of Warner Media. That's uh, CNN. HLN and Great Big Story. We work in a sort of consultative manner with brands like BMW, Chase Marriott, Miller Coors, and Hulu to tell really sort of compelling stories on behalf of their uh, brands. While our output runs the gamut from articles and interactive pieces to live events, our sort of fundamental unit, our atomic unit of content tends to be two to three minute non-fiction films. Everything we do is designed to have big emotional resonance and a sweeping cinematic scale. I'm from Boston, just outside uh, Boston, the suburbs. I am a film studies major uh, from the University of Michigan. And then, uh, you know, it's hard to find a, a job telling stories. So I, uh, I, I became a software developer right after school. And in the video field, the, uh, the company I worked for was the industrially named Video Information Systems. And I ran a software development for those guys for uh, six years. So if you were a video or film major, how did you learn software development? Uh, Well, I I was a computer nerd as a kid. You know, there's a fine line between being enthusiastic about video games Mm -hmm. and learning how to make them. Mm -hmm. So I was very fortunate. My parents bought me a uh, Apple II computer. Mm. I had like the day one Steve Jobs. Yeah, like uh, (laughs) Olympic ad uh, Macintosh. Cool. And so I I sort of taught myself that. And then, uh, you know, I got this software development job. Seemed to work out for a while. Mm -hmm. I pivoted from there. I leveraged my uh, left brain, right brainedness to get a job at a creative agency in Boston, which was then acquired by a larger creative agency in New York. And uh, then I was headhunted based on my digital creative work by Doyle Dane Bernbach, the big story New York agency. And I uh, I ran their digital practice for uh, seven years. After that, I went and ran the branded studio at Gawker Media. Mm -hmm. Uh, You might have heard of that one. And then the uh, co-founder of Courageous Studios gave me a call and asked me if I wanted to be creative director at Courageous. Very cool. What an interesting story. So a quick question for you on the DDB agency you worked at. Is it true that they were an influence on the Mad Men TV show? I I believe that's the case, yes. Was there anything you can share working there that had... uh synergies or relations with the show? Well, I mean, it was decades later, but still the process in the style of working at a pure play creative agency, while they've evolved since, mm-hmm. their, their DNA is definitely shared in that age. Mm-hmm. Art director, copywriter teams, all of these sort of uh, fundamental ways of working that Mr. Bernback basically invented or revolutionized uh, are still part of their culture today. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So no cigarette smoking in the office. That was years prior. Uh, no. <laughs> um, so you are, you're obviously very grounded in technology, but now that you've moved to the creative side, how has technology influenced on how you have evolved your career? 
so I'm a creative, mm-hmm. first and foremost, but having like a basic understanding of how technology works is tremendously beneficial. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know how to jerry-rig workarounds to things that might seem overly complex. I also know when somebody who's purportedly a technologist is is BSing me or throwing <laughs> around uh, acronyms yeah. as like smoke and mirrors, nothing makes me crazier. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for all of the thousands of impacts we see day to day, there's only been one sort of systemic change, which is the the ability to produce, distribute, and monetize media has been fundamentally democratized. Mm -hmm. Anybody can do it. And so the barrier to entry is very low from a technology perspective, Mm -hmm. and only a few players are well positioned to uh, take advantage of that new landscape. Okay, makes sense. So before I get into what you do day to day at Courageous, um, I'm curious about the name. Was the group always called Courageous? And do you know if it was what inspired the name? Uh, It was always called Courageous. I'm sure there were some primordial names pre-launch, but my understanding is it was Courageous from day one. Mm -hmm. And yes, the uh, organization is named after our illustrious uh, founder of Turner, Mm -hmm. uh, Ted Turner's boat, yacht, sailboat. What's the appropriate term uh, with which he won the America's Cup? Huh. And so the boat was called Courageous. The boat was called Courageous, and okay. the office is basically a shrine to the esteemed Mr. Turner. Oh, cool. And uh, I'm actually, you, you can't see because it's a podcast, but I'm wearing <laughs> Ted Turner's clothes. Oh, hey. Love it. So what is a day in the life of Paul like? Well, after I get everybody to school and finally <laughs> make my way to work, I, I meet with my entire team. Mm-hmm. It's comprised of uh, writers and filmmakers. And uh, we go over the projects of the day. That includes both projects in pitch phase and all the things we have working through the studio right now. We do, depending on how you count, about 150 different films a year wow. based on uh, sort of additional cut downs and output. That number could be two or three times that. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, at any given time in the studio right now, we have about 30 films in development. Uh, so those are sold and in process. Mm-hmm. They take us about 12 to 13 weeks to bring to life. Wow. I, I work with the writers up front to come up with great ideas to pitch Don Draper style. Mm-hmm. And then I work with the filmmakers on their treatments to help crack the story, okay. right? Because we're working on behalf of brands. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean the brand is the story. Right. It's if you're if you're telling a story for a beer brand mm-hmm. or a car brand, it's one thing for me to tell you about the features that make that product great. To be honest, it's not necessarily that interesting. Mm-hmm. In an interruption phase of advertising, right? Mm-hmm. From decades past, that's a great way to tell you about the product. Mm-hmm. But in the world where attention is our currency, I have to get somebody to want to engage with these stories. So the way we do it is we find meaningful human stories that resonate with people and align with the brand's ethos or speak more specifically to what the brand or product offers. Do you have a good example of something you've worked on recently? Oh, uh, oh! There's all kinds. Uh, let's see. We did a, a beautiful piece for Coors Light last year, where the uh, the brief was for Miller Coors. The brief was, uh, "Hey guys, there's mountains on the can. What could you do with mountains?" <laughs> so our whole campaign this summer is going to be all about mountains. Mm-hmm. You know, we thought we could do like a free solo sort of approach at first and mm. tell stories about intrepid people climbing mountains, mm-hmm. but we thought that had sort of been done and probably at a higher budget uh, and more with more daring do than uh, we were capable of. So uh, we found a series of artists who were inspired by or work within mountains. Okay. We sent this one guy who lights mountains at night. He's a photographer, lights them at night and hangs drones around the mountain and photographs at night and shoots mountains or glaciers uh, as if he was in a uh, a studio. And that piece is on the website. I highly encourage all of our listeners to visit it at CourageousStudios.com to take a look at that 
and other work. That sounds awesome. I would love to see that. And so the videos you're working on, are they all two to three minutes or do you ever do any longer formats? It varies. So every year and more and more clients are asking for longer format materials. Mm -hmm. uh, we had some great success over the past two years delivering some pieces for Procter & Gamble all about the fight for LGBTQ rights mm -hmm. within the organization. That's a situation where the company is actually telling the story of themselves and taking a hard look at their past behavior. Mm -hmm. They really empowered us to tell these stories warts and all. It's not all just, hey, aren't we great? <laughs> There's some really rough edges in there that mm -hmm. make them strong. Where do you find inspiration if it's a product that you or the team can't necessarily resonate with? Whether it's like diapers and no one has kids that's working on it, has never changed a diaper, or you know, it's beer. I mean, I feel like a lot of people maybe don't drink alcohol. But I try to keep the team uh, large and diverse enough that okay. there's always somebody who has a <laughs> level of enthusiasm. Okay. And I do feel like half of my job as the creative director, and mm -hmm. I do, I say this, to, I say this to everybody, including my boss, is assigning the right person to lead the right project. I just had two of our filmmakers do some stories for Dell Alienware, which were about uh, gaming laptops. Okay. And it's important to find people who understand that space mm -hmm. or else it's tougher for everybody. Yeah. Cool. That's, that's a good thought. Have a person for everything. Right person for the right job and a diverse enough array that we're all, it's like a Swiss Army knife. Yeah. I've always got the right tool for the right job. So speaking about the right tools, does your job get harder with the increasingly amount of new video and content formats that there are and like the ways that brands are trying to engage with consumers everywhere all the time? Not really, because the fundamentals are always the same. Mm -hmm. A uh, great emotionally resonant story will always be effective regardless of form factor. And uh, 100 years ago, people were making silent films and they still had to have pathos mm -hmm. and great storytelling. That's why we all you know, still love Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin because mm -hmm. that work is timeless. Mm -hmm. And if I'm making an Instagram story and it's five clicks through, you know what? It's still got to grab my heart and it's still got to hold my attention or else it's not meaningful. And it's been exactly the same with every form factor in between. People talk a lot about for, I mean, for years now, for about data and creative and how they're sometimes at odds, but they should be working together. How can data insights actually help fuel creative output? And can you give an example? I can. We lean heavily on our internal social listening and amplification team, which is called Launchpad. Uh, highly recommend to all our listeners, you reach out to our friends at Launchpad if uh, you're looking for help. What they do is based on a particular brief mm -hmm. we're working on, uh, whether that's electric cars or whether that's beer or whether it's soccer enthusiasts. And they help us slice and dice for ancillary topics that people who match that demographic are also interested in. We don't use that as a mandate, but we do use it to inform our work. And uh, it can also help us get a sense of how much we should invest in a particular topic. I think that uh, one of our esteemed competitors at a uh, big streaming company mm -hmm. recently said that they use data to inform about 20% of the process. We're probably a bit more than that, mm -hmm. but it, it doesn't mandate what we do, but uh -huh. it definitely provides input. The risk is if we follow the data every single time, we'll just make the same story over and over again. And a great example is the work we did a couple of years ago for uh, Mass Mutual. And uh, for Mass Mutual, they wanted to tell stories of uh, people altruistically helping other people. Mm -hmm. And in those cases, we were able to put our digital ear to the ground 
and find stories that got traction on social in particular, mm -hmm. but didn't quite leave the atmosphere. So we were able to take those stories, tell our own more meaningful versions of them, mm -hmm. and then uh, distribute them even more widely. I know that you said that Courageous mainly focuses on the news networks so of CNN, HLN, and Great Big Story. Are you making your stories for a global audience? And if you are, how do you think about either telling the same story across global audiences or kind of tweaking it based on the market? Uh, so yes, one of the great things about being in the news divisions of Warner Media is we get to lean on the infrastructure that an organization like CNN provides us. And while there's a firm line between church and state, we do not interact with the editorial teams in any mm. capacity. Okay. We can leverage shared knowledge. So we make films all over the world. In the last six months alone, I've had teams in Ethiopia and Pakistan and northern Sweden and China. And we can leverage tactical resources on the ground. If I need a sound guy in okay. Germany, we can make a call. Somebody within this giant organization knows a great sound person in Germany. And then from a, a storytelling mm -hmm. or cultural perspective, it's the same way I try to align people with topics. Uh -huh. If if I just guess what's going to resonate in a particular country, I'll probably be, be wrong. Mm -hmm. So we try to have expert in that yeah. culture or that uh, geographic location. Throughout your career, you've won a lot of awards for campaigns. You mentioned winning a Can Lion. What campaign has made you most proud? There are so many. They're all team efforts, right? Uh, and none of them are done in a vacuum. I think the quality of our work is the highest I've ever had the opportunity to work on. The quality and culture of the team is exceptional. And I'm very, very fortunate to work with folks of this caliber. Mm -hmm. Just in the past two years, We've done beautiful work for, again, Coors Light, as I mentioned. We did some great work for Hulu mm -hmm. uh, last summer. We have done some nice work for BMW recently. Oh, we did some beautiful work for Chevrolet. Our sleep number work is pretty good. And uh, we did uh, work around the world for GE last summer. Oh, oh, plus the aforementioned Procter & Gamble work. And no matter what we're making, it's imperative that the output is compelling, emotional, and hopefully attention-grabbing. Capture the audience's attention. Exactly right. Just like we are doing right now with this riveting podcast. Yes. And so you've mentioned all these great people that you work with. So aside from being the right person for the right campaign, what else makes a successful teammate? Great question. Passion. Mm -hmm. And it's passion, like a focused nerd-like passion for a particular subject matter. And it doesn't have to be the same subject matter that I'm into. But whenever I'm interviewing somebody or talking to somebody about working on the team, I'm a pretty good generalist. I know a little bit about a lot of stuff, mm -hmm. but I'm not an expert in very many things. So when I'm talking to somebody about working with me, I'm looking for somebody who's so determined and enthusiastic about whatever the, their thing is that I can rest assured that they'll take that same enthusiasm and apply it to our work. Because it's that sort of diverse array of enthusiasms that makes for a strong team. Awesome. I love that. Your team sounds awesome. I'd love to meet them. Well, you should come by. It's right down the street. It's around the corner from your office. We're in neutral territory right now. Yeah, totally. Um, so what's next for you? You love your team at Courageous, but any like side projects, personal projects you got going on? Uh, you know, uh, the, the Courageous work with 150 projects a year keeps me pretty busy. <laughs> pretty busy. busy. <laughs> uh, pretty busy. But, you know, our mantra over the past couple of years has been uh, 
fewer, bigger, better. And so that's what we're trying to infuse within the team. We get a lot of requests for a lot of projects, but we're at the wonderful and fortunate inflection point where we can turn some smaller ones away. Mm -hmm. And then when you really ask what's what's next, mm -hmm. what I like to think we're doing, now I'm thinking big and ambitious. We're not just making these little stories and publishing them on social media. Uh -huh. We are thinking fundamentally about what it means to advertise or represent a brand. Mm -hmm. And that is influential from our perspective. It's influential in the news divisions of Warner Media, but also we're at a unique position in the media and publishing industry, mm -hmm. where what once was controlled by a chosen few is now managed by many. Mm -hmm. We've got a situation now where an organization like yourself, Xander, has unique insights into what consumers are looking for and how to reach them with razor sharp accuracy. Mm -hmm. And you have control over the form factor of what those advertisements look like. Mm -hmm. So over the next year, my intent is to give us even more of a reach, leveraging internal partners like yourself, and to give us more exposure within the organization. Awesome. I love that answer. Love it. So I have some rapid fire questions for you. My first one, because you just mentioned um, advertisements and speaking of Xander, what is your favorite advertisement? Oh, favorite ever? Yeah. Oh, uh, well, I'm a, I'm a DDB'er, right? And that, so you have to say a Bill Burnback advertisement. They really, they, they <laughs> sort of beat it into you. Uh -huh. It's like a religion. So I've got to go with a Volkswagen Bill Burnback lemon ad. But I'm like, a guilty pleasure uh -huh. is those old was it Budweiser, Real Men of Genius ads. I think yeah. they're fun. Yeah. And then I still, every time, I don't know if you know this one, but every time I am near a train, I hum the uh, dumb days, oh, dumb ways to die song. Which was like a hum it for us. I don't. I'm not going to say it on the podcast. <laughs> okay. Dumb ways to die. That's your recording contract. Thank you. Right Done. It was an Australian agency. I think it was McCann. I don't know. We'll have to double check. Uh, it's all about train safety. Okay. Don't don't get hit by a train. Okay. And it was what I like about a. Oh, it's got a jingle, and who doesn't love a good jingle? Love a jingle. Uh, cars for kids. I mean, we can all sing it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, they had a beautiful animated ad, and then. They had a uh, interactive game that played on the iPad. Oh, cool. And usually when advertisers like do a bunch of things, one's good and the others are also rans. It's a good game. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure no one wants to hear what my favorite advertisement is, but oh, I've, please. I've come to my conclusion of what it is after I've been asking you know, podcast guests of what it is. And I've determined that it's the Calgan take me away ad because oh, sure. I use that phrase all the time whenever I'm feeling stressed or wanting to be just home in my bed. So I think that that's my... My number one. That sounds perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Who or what is your personal biggest inspiration? A great storytellers over, I, I should say, the lifetime of humanity. But for me, it's really the past hundred years or so since the birth of cinema and moving pictures. I think that we are innately hardwired as human beings to want to exchange stories. I think that's why we as a species invented stories. Mm -hmm. And so the people who have taken that to the apex of their particular medium have always really impressed me. So mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of Buster Keaton. I'm a big fan of Howard Hawks. I'm a big fan of Agnes Varda and uh, Shigeru Miyamoto. Um, you mentioned you have kids, right? I do, yes. What's your favorite book that you read to your kids? Well, my kids are old. Okay, my, well, well, back in the day. My, my kids are 17 and 14. Oh, wow. Uh, I don't really uh, read to them anymore. They read to me <laughs> as, my, as my vision fails in what, my old age. When they were younger. Oh, Let's see, uh, Green Eggs and Ham was a uh, hop uh, on pop. Yes, hop on pop was a okay, anything Dr. Probably, Seuss. Yeah, I could probably do that one by memory. What is one thing that would surprise people about you? 
oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm terribly mean and cruel. I have this friendly voice no. on the podcast, <laughs> but really, it's, it's to cover up from the, the verbal the abuse I inflict. Yeah, uh, I, I see. I'm on a, uh, I'm on a competitive pinball team. Oh, very nice. Like with the flippers and the yeah. ball and the whole deal in New York. Do you yeah. have a certain pinball machine of choice? I have a favorite. Yeah. yeah it was uh, the Twilight Zone pinball machine. Oh, okay. It was designed by a guy named Pat Lawler. Okay. And uh, you, uh, fun fact, pinball machines, like other works of art, uh, have designers mm -hmm. who are responsible for the aesthetic and the gameplay. And yeah. different designers design games that share different characteristics, the mm -hmm. same way that a movie director or a TV director or an oh. author might. So oh. Pat Lawler is like the, he's the Steven Spielberg of pinball machines. He's oh, my guy. I love that. Yeah. All right. My last question for you, Paul, is what is your favorite word? Oh, my favorite word? Yeah. This was not on your list. No, it wasn't. It was a good one. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Love it. Why? You use it all the time? I do. A, it's a good word for stalling like I did just now. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, I always believe in having a glass half full attitude, mm -hmm. right? Work is a grind. We mm -hmm. have a lot of stuff to do every day. Mm -hmm. And I genuinely feel like the luckiest guy in the world. I get to show up. I get to tell these incredible stories on behalf of brands with a blank canvas, more or less, every single time. And guys, you might not realize this. They pay me to do it. <laughs> it's the dream. I try to imbue uh, the people around me with that same sense of uh, enthusiasm and possibility. Love it. Well, I think absolutely always brings a smile to my face. So that was a good choice. Good. Thank you so much, Paul. It was such a pleasure getting to know you and what you do for Courageous and learning about your inspiration. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Unsponsored content is produced by Christine Rubenstein and Matter Communications with special support from Matthew Becker, Vince Pye, and Chris Severino. Connect with us on social media at Xander on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. If you like this podcast, follow us and hit the like button on this episode. Thanks for tuning in.